Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, are you there? If you're not, it's on the screen. I just like to hear the sound of pages turning. We got it on the screen anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and beginning in verse 1, it reads this, Moreover, brethren, or sistren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same, what saints? Spiritual food and all drank the same, what? Spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was who? Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Listen, all of the things, according to this verse, all of the things that happened to them in the wilderness, because that's what we have been talking about and will continue to talk about over the next several months, this whole wilderness wandering experience. And the thing that we have to understand and get it in our minds now is this whole experience, all that happened to them in the wilderness wanderings were to be two things if you're taking notes. Get your pen, get your pad, and you should already have it. The intention of what was going on in the wilderness wandering and all that, all that happened to them were to be, number one, if you're taking notes, a practical illustration. Secondly, for personal application. Practical illustration for personal application. In other words, practical illustrations so that they could learn some lessons. And remember we talked about that several weeks ago. It wasn't last week. It was actually the week prior. But if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about the children of Israel who left Egypt And God has set them free from the land of Egypt. And as they were making their way out of Egypt, remember we talked about it, they stopped at certain what I call God-ordained campsites. And each campsite, they needed to learn some important lessons or personal application. They needed to learn them. Briefly, we'll talk about them. The first campsite, who can think of it quickly? Sukkoth, very good. And Sukkoth means what? Tent town. I like that, tent town. Or tent city, same thing. And the lesson that they were to learn was that this world is not our home. We are strangers passing through. 
tent town, Sukkoth. The second campsite, who can think of that? Etham. Somebody's got their cheating notes out from weeks prior. I know it. This is going too well. I know it. But you're right. Campsite number two is Etham, and Etham means with them. Remember the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and the lesson learned is God is with them. The third campsite, they find themselves between a rock and a hard place. Remember we talked about that? They find themselves between two mountains, Mount Piahirath and Mount Migdal. And the Red Sea is in front of them. And the Pharaoh's army is in hot pursuit behind them. And they found themselves there. And the lesson is that God is more powerful than any army. Campsite number four. Who can remember what that was? Mara, Mara, depending on where you're from. Mara, Mara, means bitterness. And the lesson is this. Life is full of bitterness. Don't you know? Life is full of bitterness and life is full of difficulties. But God, this is what we learn, but God will turn the bitter water sweet when you throw in the tree. And remember, the tree represents what? The cross. And your life does really become sweet. That's what harvest is all about. Throwing in the cross into the triangle community so that there could be some sweetness in the triangle. I like it because I was out there on that 40 today. Let me tell you, they need some sweetness out there, okay? I ain't had time to tell y'all what happened, but trust me. And then campsite number five, who remembers what it was? Elam, very good. Elam means mighty one. The lesson is God is almighty and able to give you times of refreshment after the bitter experience. Campsite number six was what? The wilderness of sin, you got it. And it was there that God provided for them manna. And manna means what? What is it? Very good. And the lesson is God will provide everything you need even in the wilderness. And then campsite number seven was what? Rephidim. Very good. Rephidim means what? Rest stop. Very good. And it was in Rephidim. Remember that water came from a rock. And remember, here's the lesson. Jesus is the rock smitten for us. And when Jesus was smitten, because the verse says that Jesus is our rock. And when Jesus was smitten for us, listen to me closely. Water and blood came flowing from him, which brought refreshment, rest, and renewal. And that's exactly what happened at Rephidim. And then the last time we were together, again, not last week, but the week prior, we came to campsite number eight. And who remembers what that was? Mount Sinai, very good, where Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, Receive the Ten Commandments. Tonight, listen, we come to the final stop, the final stop of their camping trip, but it's not the end of their journey. It's the final stop of their camping trip before they are sentenced to a 40-year death march because of unbelief and disobedience wandering around in the wilderness. And it's at this campsite that they actually stay for 11 months and, and, and the thing we need to keep in mind as they are wandering in the wilderness is this, the, the pilgrimage that they're on was planned and plotted by God to prepare them 
for the promised land. How you like all those peas? I worked on those all day. The pilgrimage was planned and plotted by God to prepare them for the promised land. Well, with that said, Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. Amen. In the third month, that's June, you can write that in your margin. After the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai. In case you didn't get it the first time. They come to the wilderness of Sinai and they camped in the wilderness. And so Israel camped there before the mountain. Underline that if you will. Israel camped there before the mountain. Now stop right there. Give me your attention. It took... Israel, three months of trusting God to get to this place, Mount Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai, took them three months to get to this place, but they finally arrived. They were approximately 90 days at this point. They were approximately 90 days out of Egypt. And keep in mind, coming out of Egypt, the people of God, Israel, they saw the miraculous hand of God. They saw God's deliverance from Egypt. They saw how God guided them in the way that they should go. They saw God get victory at the Red Sea, victory over the Amalekites. They saw the hand of God and God's provision, Jehovah Jireh, is God's provision. They saw his hand provide food and they saw his hand provide water. And so now they get to the wilderness of Sinai, which is a valley several miles wide and several miles deep, and this is where they will stay. Now, in your own time, here's your homework, Numbers chapter 10, we find out that it is in the second year that the cloud that led them by day gets up and moves. It's in the second year. So they get to Sinai and they camp for one year, and while they are there, In this one-year period, several things happen at Sinai. God gives them the Ten Commandments. You know that. that. He gives it to Moses, the Ten Commandments, during that one year. They begin to erect a tabernacle during that year. Moses goes up to receive the two tables of commandments during that year. And meanwhile, back on the ranch... As Moses is up getting the commandments from God on the tab on the two tables of tavern uh, tables of stone, Aaron is having a party and making a golden calf in that valley area of Sinai. Now, question: Why did God choose Sinai? Why did God choose Sinai? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, God chose Sinai. Listen. To fulfill his promise. What promise, Rodney? You'll find it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And it simply says this. He, God, said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God brought them into Sinai. God chose Sinai, number one, to fulfill his promise. Why? Because God is a God 
who always fulfills his promise. Amen, saints? He always does. Whatever God promises, God will bring to fruition in his time. So number one, to fulfill his promise, why God chose Sinai. Number two, Sinai was a great place in the plain of the Sinai Peninsula. It was just a great neighborhood. I think it's as simple as that. It was just a great place. There's this Jewish scholar by the name of Alfred Erdenstein. I think that's right. And he said this about the Sinai Peninsula, this area. He said this was the best watered neighborhood in the whole peninsula where running streams are found in no less than four of the adjacent valleys. It's the best place in the neighborhood. So I think God chose Sinai because it was just a great plain in the Sinai Peninsula. Thirdly, I believe God chose Sinai, and this is my opinion, but why he chose it, I think this is my opinion, but Sinai, as you look at it, give me your attention. As you look at Sinai and you get a view of it, it it looks like it's in a rectangle shape. It looks like a giant pulpit. It's 3,750 stones, pardon me, or steps leading up to it. It towers 7,000 feet in elevation. And as I said, it's shaped in a rectangular shape. So it looks like a giant pulpit. And how appropriate is that? Think about it. God will preach the most dramatic sermon ever heard that will affect all of history from this super huge giant pulpit. I think that's why God chose Sinai. And then I think probably one of the biggest reasons that God chose Sinai, one of the biggest reasons is because of its name. Because of its name. What do you mean, Rodney? The name Sinai means thorns or thorny. Thorns or thorny. Mount Sinai is also Mount Horeb in the scriptures. So if you see Mount Horeb, you're talking about Mount Sinai. And Horeb actually has a different meaning. Horeb Horeb means desolate, destroyer, or killer. So Sinai means thorny. Are you listening? Sinai means thorny. Horeb means desolate, destroyer, or killer. And it's at Sinai, now stay with me, it's at Sinai that God gives the commandments. God gives the Ten Commandments or the law. And the purpose of the law is to kill. The purpose of the law is to sentence us to death. The purpose of the law is to show or to teach you that you are on death row and you need pardon. If you understand so far, say amen. That's the purpose of the law. Destroyer, killer, thorny, thorns. That's the purpose of the law. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says this. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. This word tutor is very important for you to understand The word tutor in the Greek language is pedagogos, 
Pedagogos. We've talked about this in the past. It literally means what? Schoolmaster or school teacher. Now, the law, the intention of the law was not to teach us that we can look at the law and say, well, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do that, and thus I am righteous. That was not the intention of the law. The intention of the law was that it would be a tutor, a pedagogos, a schoolmaster to teach us that we are a mess and we are in need of a messiah. That's the purpose of the law. The law was not intended to take away your sins. The law was intended to identify and make you see that you have a problem. And the problem is you are a sinner. Yeah, I said the S word. You know, people don't want to say I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. People don't want to admit that. The Bible is very, very clear. And the purpose of the law is to point out the fact that you are wrong, that you are a sinner in need of a savior. That's the point of the law. It's not to take away your sins. Just like a thermometer, listen, doesn't make your fever go away. It only lets you know you have one. Is that right? Okay. Let's make sure I'm on the right track here, all right? Just like a speed limit sign doesn't stop you from driving faster. Although for some of y'all, it should. <laughs> but, but it really doesn't. I mean, it just lets you know that if you go faster than the posted sign, that you are breaking the law. You are sinning. Just like a mirror. If you take a mirror and hold it up to your face and you see these big chocolate chip smudges on your face, you don't take the mirror and start going... Do you? No. The mirror simply identifies that there's dirt on your face and you need to get something else to cleanse it. You need to get it off of your face some other way, but it doesn't take away the smudge. The purpose of the law was to let man know his condition and his need for something else to take away our sins the big theological word for that is atonement, atonement. You can think of atonement like at one meant. Atonement brings us into oneness or unity with God. It makes us at one with God. And the purpose of the law was to say to you, you're not one with God. You're separate from God and you need something to cleanse you. You need forgiveness. That's the purpose. Now, don't misunderstand me. You, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. You don't want to forget about the law either. I mean, we don't want to forget about the law because I think a lot of times because we Christians are under grace, we kind of have this mentality of, well, forget the law. The law is not even important anymore. Well, listen, hold on, partner. It's not that the law is not important. It's that the law doesn't have power over your life. It's not that the law is not important. Jesus did not come to obliterate the law. Jesus did not come to get rid of the law. I heard a Bible teacher just the other day say Jesus came to just get rid of the law. Well, not exactly. And that's certainly not what he said. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them and not one jot or tittle will pass away until the law is fulfilled. There is a difference between fulfillment and destruction. There is a difference. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. You see, the law had an end, and the end of the law is Christ. And it's the end of the condemnation of the law. But there's still an obligation to the law. Now, you're probably thinking, what is he saying? It's the end of the condemnation of the law. But it isn't the end of the obligation. And what I mean by that, and when you come back next week, we'll talk a whole lot more about it in chapter 20. The commandments of God, we're still an obligation on our part to keep those commandments. In other words, don't murder folks still applies today. (laughs) Is that right? Don't don't make graven images is still applicable today We're to have no other gods before God is still applicable today in the Christian life. So we still have this obligation to the law, but we are not under the condemnation of the law. We are not condemned by the law because the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When he went to the cross, his blood paid for our sins and brought to fulfillment of the law. So now all we have to do is put our faith and our trust in him, receive him as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And we are born again and no longer are we condemned because that judgment and condemnation, if you will, has been placed on Christ when he went to the cross. That's a mouthful. You understand? It's very important that you understand this. Because I think we get a wrong mentality. Oh, we ain't got nothing to do with the law. We're Christians. We're under grace, not the law. Well, that's true. But let's be very, very careful and let's be respectful and let's be true to God's word. And let's understand God's word. Very, very important. So we're not condemned by the law. Now, now let me just share something with you that's pretty shocking. This will probably shock you. Listen, there are two ways to get to heaven. Two ways to get to heaven. I think some of y'all know where I'm going. Two ways. Number one, here's a way that you can try to get to heaven. You can try to keep the law. And you can try to be perfect. There's your word for the day. Perfect. You have to be perfect if you're going to go to heaven trying to keep the law. You have to fulfill the law in its entirety. And if you break one point of the law, if you've ever, ever, even in your heart had an idol, then the Bible says you've broken the law. Therefore, no one's perfect. But if you want to get to heaven, you can try to be perfect and try to keep the law and do all the law. Or you can get to heaven by standing in the grace that God gives. That's the second way. A righteousness that sets you free from the law. 
You see, Sinai, as I told you, means thorny. Because when you understand the law and you realize you can't keep it and you realize you're a lawbreaker, you know what it does? It pricks your heart. It's thorny. It convicts you. It pricks your heart. And you realize that you're not perfect and you need a savior. The law is thorny. Two ways to get to heaven. You can be perfect, which no one is perfect. The Pharisees had that problem. They read the law and they felt like, well, I never really killed anybody. And Jesus says, hey, you ever, you ever in your heart? Well, I never covered a man's wife. I never lusted him at my, with my eyes. And, you know, Jesus says, hey, have you done it in your heart? Have you done it in your heart? Well, see, that the, the heart of the law is what Jesus was trying to get to trying to keep it. You'd have to keep the law perfectly in order to be saved and go to heaven. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.